So in a prayer point for um, uh, chaplaincy funding, I have some good news. Um, late Friday afternoon, the Minister for Education signed that and released the money to all the groups. So that's fantastic news. And even better news, he did it for five years. So um, that's a real answer to prayer, and that means that groups like Chorus Connect and Scripture Union, etc., who are involved in chaplaincy and supporting of chaplains can get on with that uh, really important ministry in Victoria. So that's great news. Uh, one other thing, just to back up something that's gone out in the previous few weeks, um, we really need uh, some more PowerPoint projector operators during the service. Larry is doing a fantastic job there this morning, never makes a mistake, just keeps us right on track. But we, would, we need some others. And if we don't have overhead projector operators there in the console, um, then the service kind of can't have anything visual. And if we can't have anything visual, we're going to have to go back to handing out words for songs on pieces of paper, which is bad for a carbon footprint and really old-fashioned as well. Um, so if you think that you can press a button and be trained by us, we'll train you how to do it and join a great team of people who have a lot of fun on Sunday morning. Um, just once a month sort of scenario. Please speak to Holly. That would be fantastic. Wave your hand, Holly. That's Holly. She would love to... Uh, she'll buy you a coffee. She will... Um, um, we would love you to do that. Just a uh, couple, two or three people to join the team and fill the stocks there. That would be great. Right, to our message. Well, I hope that you've been appreciating over the last five weeks, four or five weeks, the different messages we've had in this Turning Point series from the speakers. I really have appreciated it. Um, it's been excellent to hear why a certain character from the Bible speaks to a certain person and how it connects with their life and challenges or has been involved with. Or uh, It's just been wonderful. Now, I want you to take a look at this photo. The next one, thanks, Larry. What do you see? A brick wall, thanks, Kenny. It's a photo of a brick wall not unlike the exterior of this building. I want you to keep that image in mind as we move forward because I want to introduce you to Simon. Actually, his proper name was Simon Bar-Jonah, and you probably know him quite well, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Simon was a fisherman who went out each night to see what he could bring in from the Sea of Galilee. He was not a rich man. He was not a beggar. He worked hard with his brother Andrew, Andrew, or should I say Andrew Barjonah. Barjonah means son of John. If they were Irish, we would have called them Simon and Andrew O'John. If they were Scottish, we would have called them the Mac Johns, both of which mean son of. One day, the two fishermen, Simon and Andrew, were working on their nets on the seashore when a rabbi walked past them. Rabbis didn't frequent the seashore typically, and they especially didn't associate with fishermen who were sweaty and smelly after a hard night's toil. But this rabbi was different. And they probably recognised him because this rabbi had been drawing reasonably significant crowds, and the authorities hated him. Now, we don't know if the rabbi knew them well or had never met them prior to this encounter, but his words to Simon presented what would be the first of many turning points in his life. The rabbi spoke to him. Actually, he spoke to both the brothers and he said, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, culturally, this is an unusual scene, not just because the rabbi is there on the foreshore with the fishermen, 
but because of the manner in which he recruited these disciples. The typical pattern of disciple-making from rabbis was a long-term one. Children would be schooled in the Torah, and then over over years in texts and law, as they were memorised, the best and brightest students would emerge, and upon adulthood, the cream of the crop would be invited to become a disciple of that rabbi. Uh, Perhaps Paul's experience is the most well-known one, where he was discipled by a rabbi named Gamaliel. Paul says this, Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. Paul grew up as a disciple in the traditional rabbinic school and formational process. This scene is quite different, a rabbi walking along the foreshore and calling some fishermen to come follow him. Anyway, I don't know about you, but no one has ever walked up to me and asked me to resign from my job on the spot and follow them in their mission. Ever happened to you? Never happened to me. The Lord Lord has certainly called me to transition several times from one role to another, and one of those is current, but it's never been on the spot and it's never been instance. It's never been a case of me being called by God to do something and just walking off the platform and out the building and off to the next task, as in this scene. Mark tells us what Simon did in the next verse. At once they left their nets and followed him. Simon and Andrew followed the rabbi. There's a lesson for us to reflect on with Simon at this turning point about our own responsiveness and availability when we feel the tap of God on our shoulder or in our heart. Are we available How do we discern God's call? Is God opening something new up for you right now? For me, when I was in my early 20s, I was working in local government and I had the dream job of an early 20 years old person. I was a municipal recreation officer. I coordinated and liaised with the community, with arts, with sporting groups, and I was on a good wage for my age. In fact, I, can re- I had to allocate all of the different parks and grounds and ovals to all the different sporting clubs. And I can remember one winter, it was particularly wet. It was so wet and rainy that the, um, the rocks in the base of the ovals at Montmorency Football Ground were coming up. And so they were like rocks emerging through the mud. And the football club couldn't understand why I closed the ground. Our insurance didn't really like the thought of people playing footy on rocks. But anyway, we, I had a dream job. And I was also doing a master's degree in sports science at Deakin for a little bit of further education. Um, additionally, I was a youth leader at Blackburn Baptist Church when the church asked me to come on their pastoral staff. Well, I didn't want to, despite knowing that I had a vocational pull towards ministry. I was happy, I was independent, in what I was doing, and the thought of actually making the switch from an idealised vision of a preferable future of ministry, which was more really like an unaccountable dream, to actually doing it, was hard. It required far less pay. It required me going to the bottom of the food chain again at the church. It required stopping my study in sports science and instead going and studying at Bible college. And it required me wearing the name tag of pastor, which wasn't cool 
with my friends who lived outside of church life, who I was trying to reach. But there do come some decision-making points in our lives when we are at that proverbial fork in the road. And whatever decision it is that we make is determinative of our future. Now, when we look at someone, we look at them in a certain way. We make assumptions. You look at me and you assume, you probably are assuming certain things subconsciously. Now you're thinking about it consciously, but before that, subconsciously, because of my dress style, my job, my haircut, my car, my lack of hair, my car, um, if you hear me speak, my accent. We assume lots of things. Some might be positive, some might be judgmental. The same thing applies to ourselves and our view of ourselves personally. We assume lots of things about ourselves, about what people think of us, about what our limitations are, about what we can and what we can't do, how we think we present, whether we present well or otherwise. And truth be told, many of us are our own worst critic. We don't need newspapers or TV or magazines or other people criticising us when we have ourselves. We think we're too heavy, too thin, too old, too young, not educated enough, too educated, unskilled, overskilled, noisy, quiet, experienced, unexperienced, stuck, whatever it is. For some people, it's very hard to get out of bed and face each day because they have their own voice on their own shoulder telling them enough bad stuff. Whether it's what we think of others or how we think of ourselves, both are in contrast to how Jesus thinks of us and how he taught us to approach ourselves. Not in a vain way, but in a healthy way and in a wholesome way that produces good fruit. Jesus said that you're going to have a tough time loving your neighbour if you don't love yourself because we're meant to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Jesus said... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour like yourself. Remember, the, the word gospel that we talk about so often means good news. It's the good news that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, his only son, to save us which is why we call Good Friday, which is Bad Friday, Good Friday, when it was so terrible. And it's good news that because God loves us, we are to love ourselves and our neighbour. It's harder than it sounds, and it's better than we realise. Now, where am I going with all of this? I'm saying that Simon thought he was at a pretty big turning point on the foreshore there that day, when he decided to follow Jesus on the spur of the moment. But Simon didn't really have a clue about how big a turning point this one was going to become. That rabbi Jesus saw something in Simon that no one else could possibly have foreseen. That within that impulsive, smelly, gruff, judged exterior lay a diamond. Now, there are many stories and passages about Simon that I'd like to single out from the Bible, 
but I will single out only a few because of time and Alan and Rosemary have after a cup of coffee a trip to go on so we want to bless them on that trip and not hold them back. They gave me that message strongly this morning and I said I'd only go for two hours. (laughs) No, no. Um, There are many passages that I could but we don't have time. So together we'll see that sometimes as I open these passages, sometimes Simon passes the test but often he fails the test. But each time... Simon is learning and getting back off, off, off the mat and each time he's moving towards layers of that judged exterior falling off and that inner diamond coming out to shine. Now the first passage I want to open is in Matthew 15. The disciples have just seen Jesus feed the 5,000 plus women and children, huge group. And the group of disciples then wanted to get away. Enough public ministry, time to get away and retreat. They jumped into a boat to go across the lake, but the crowd was still following. Jesus told the disciples to go ahead and that he would come. Now, interestingly, ever thought about this? No one seems to have thought about how Jesus would catch up to them. I guess they thought he'd get another boat. Jesus was not in a rush to join them. He dismisses the crowd and then he goes up the mountainside himself to pray and spend time with the Father. So let's pick up the story. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So obviously, Jesus has prayed out and been up on the mountain and he wants to catch up to the group. They're not getting very far in the boat because he can still see them and because of the weather. uh, So he just walked on out over the water to the boat as you do. Yep, he walked on the water, which terrified the group who thought he was a ghost. Now, it's typical of Simon, who becomes Simon Peter, to engage his mouth before his brain, and he invites himself to walk out on the water over to Jesus. Everyone else is in the boat just thinking it's a ghost, or is it Jesus, or what is it? Simon speaks first, thinks second. And Jesus says, after Simon's issued the invitation, Jesus says, come on over. Now Simon's effort has been derided of walking on the water over to Jesus. It's been derided for most of history. But let's not forget, he actually did walk on water for a while. He's the only other person who's actually done it other than Jesus. Somehow his brain was still disengaged as he started, But the Bible says as he walked towards Jesus on the water, 
He then noticed what was happening and that the weather was wild and the wind was up and he began to sink. Now, I've always wondered a little bit about what happened next, how Simon Peter got back to the boat. We know Jesus pulled him up out of the water. We know that Jesus reached his hand out and caught him. But I've often wondered, did Jesus carry him to the boat or did he walk on water with the assistance of Jesus, kind of leaning into Jesus' faith? Either way, I really like that small scene that's hidden there between the, the, the sentences in the text. A small journey back to the boat that Simon Peter made, pulled out of the water in a terrible situation and completely dependent on Jesus. Carried or assisted, it doesn't say, but somehow he got from X to Y, from where Jesus was and pulled him out of the water, to the boat, carried or assisted or it doesn't say, but he got there because he was connected to Jesus. Other than Jesus, he's the only person who's walked on water, but when he ran out of faith, so did his success. And then he had to reconnect with Jesus to make it back to safety. Well, notice what Simon Peter's effort created. When his disciples in the boat saw what had happened, they began to worship Jesus and proclaim that he was the Son of God. This was a big turning point created by Simon Peter, who had enough guts to try something and enough desperation when he was in a hole, kind of a sinking hole, to plead for Jesus to save him. It's a reminder that each of us too, for each of us too, that we can have a go and we might, need to, we might get a little bit embarrassed. We might get ourselves into bother. But it's important then to cry out for help. This turning point saw our hero turn more towards Jesus despite his character flaws and his impetuosity. Let's come back to my image of the brick on the wall. Can we go to the next photo? Thank you. You see a brick wall. I see a brick wall. But while Jesus sees the bricks, he also sees the mortar that holds it together. The cement between the bricks that does the hard, inglorious work of holding the wall together so effectively that no one notices it unless someone like me points it out. No one notices it unless there's something wrong or its presence is pointed out. We live in a world that's focused on the exterior, the book cover, the marketing, the image. And too often we miss the beauty, the wonder, the uniqueness, the structure, the essence, the grit that makes us who we really are. The world saw Simon. Simon probably saw Simon as the class clown, the loudmouth, the impetuous one, the dirty fisherman. But Jesus saw so much more. In fact, Jesus' vision of Simon was so much comprehensively more that a name change was going to be required. Let's move on to Matthew 16, where we see the next story of Jesus' vision for Simon as he moves towards Peter. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you people say the Son of Man is? 
They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? He asked. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not received, revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone else that he was the Messiah. Now, while this scene is all about Jesus and this messianic secret being revealed to the disciples but held from everyone else for a while, while it's all about Jesus and central to Matthew's explanation of who Jesus really is, it also gives us insight to who Jesus saw Simon as, who Simon Peter really was going to become Because of Jesus. The disciples are with Jesus and they'd just arrived in Caesarea Philippi, a town well north from the lake that Simon used to fish in. Now in the previous passages, as I've said, Jesus had done these amazing scenes of ministry, feeding the 4,000, feeding the 5,000. They'd witnessed Jesus and a little bit of Peter walking on the water. Simon must have been in wonder about those experiences and especially his moments of actually walking on water. You could not reflect on that. So Jesus checks in for a progress examination about what they and what Simon was really thinking. Who do you say I am? He asks. And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The temple leaders and the religious leaders were not getting it. They were trying to convict or stop or ultimately kill Jesus. But because Simon was starting to get it, Jesus announced his new name and his new future. He will no longer be the old Simon, but in Christ he will become Peter the Rock. This is a significant turning point. Many of us appreciate that Jesus saves us and accepts us. But it's a whole other thing to know in your Noah that you are a whole new person in Christ and that the Spirit dwells within, making you new. Paul says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Peter who's been through this, Simon, our friend, Peter, would later write as Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, But now you have received mercy. See, Peter knew this from his Simon days. He's writing this because he's been through it himself 
his turning point. Friends, when that voice tells you that you are nothing, it might feel real and oppressive. It might condemn, it might pull down, but it is a lie. In Christ, you are adopted by God and an heir in Christ. Lift your chin a little higher. Stick your chest out a little stronger. Stand a little taller. Know who you are. This was a major turning point for Simon, who was becoming Peter. But he would still make some mistakes, as we're about to see. We next travel to Matthew 17. And we have the story of the transfiguration. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared to them, before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. I mean, for goodness sake, imagine that. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud, as if it was, that was not enough, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Now, this amazing scene only Simon Peter, James and John are present in when Jesus is revealed in his heavenly glory. Jesus is there meeting with two of the greats, with Moses and Elijah. The father speaks, his father speaks aloud on that mountain and declares his love and his pride and his son and he says that Jesus is to be listened to. Any closer to God, and Simon Peter will die, and he knows it, and he falls to the ground, face down, terrified, as you would. It's holiness multiplied. It's majesty multiplied. It's glorious. It's amazing. It's bright as the sun. It is an incredible moment. And what does Simon Peter do? Now, there are times to make suggestions, but I want to put it to you. There are also times to just be quiet and observe what you can and put your face down. If I was in a royal court for the first time or in the Oval Office, I think, I hope, I'd be quiet and I'd only speak if spoken to. But old motor mouth, what does Simon Peter do in the midst of the most glorious court that you're ever going to be in in the history of humanity and the world and the universe? What does he do? He says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Oh, brilliant, Einstein. Like, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Excellent. Seriously, the father and his son are in a holy encounter with Moses and Elijah. Jesus is in this encounter with Moses and Elijah. The father is present. 
And Simon suggests that they build a campsite. Like, what was next? Put some marshmallows on the barbecue or have some snags or... Like, fair income. Peter, only motormouth Peter. And he would later reflect on this incredible scene with a bit of time for maturity and thought and to Peter when he wrote this. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received glory and honour from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Speak first, think second. He needed a bit of time to start diagnosing and writing what he had actually been a witness to. This is another turning point, encountering God personally and becoming a witness of his majesty. One final story because we don't have time to to do all of the stories that are attributed to Simon Peter. This is a story that starts with Simon and ends with Peter. And it's messy at the start and it ends well. And it's so typical of Simon Peter and I think that's why I resonate with him. Not because I'm the leader of the church or anything like that or anything grand or glorious, but because his mistakes and his impetuosity and all of his rough stuff is so there transparently in the Bible. And yet he makes it. All because of Jesus, not because of him. All because of Jesus. Simon and Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. This is John 18. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. Aren't you one of this man's disciples too? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, a little bit further on in John 18. Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I'm not. One of the high priest's servants a relative of the man whose Peter had cut his ear off, that's a whole other story we could have got to, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. We know the story well. Simon Peter denies Jesus three times, having promised that he would be loyal. The scene at this point, is an abject failure. And the future leader of the Christian church is banished to all of the things that you go through when you fail the most important person in your life. But it doesn't end there. There's always another opportunity with Jesus, friends. While you're living and breathing, there's always another opportunity. We fast forward to the upper room in John 21. The recently confused band of followers are with the resurrected Jesus, no longer confused. And this is the story we have. John says this, When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. The transition from chapter 18 here to chapter 21. 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, in your Simon days, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Peter will march forward from this moment as the courageous leader and the founder of the church of Jesus Christ. This will be his major recorded turning point built on all of the previous turning points when he accepts that he is no longer Simon. Simon is gone. He is Peter, chosen by the Lord. The diamond now shines. A new person in Christ adopted in Christ, an heir of Christ's kingdom. This final turning point is the culmination of all the others. Tradition tells us that Peter was martyred on a cross, but they said, but he said that he was not worthy to die in the manner of his Lord and insisted that he was crucified upside down. Peter reminds me that whoever I might be, whoever we might be, and, and whatever our past, in Christ, we are saved, free, adopted, inheritors, and of immense value. Not because of anything we have done at all, but because of what Jesus achieved. Our turning point begins through faith and confession that Jesus is Lord. And here's the thing, friends. Peter just kept mucking it up the whole way. And then he'd go back and then he'd reset and he'd turn again. There's such an encouragement there for you and for me. We can keep turning towards Jesus. And each time you turn, the ark of your Christ-likeness becomes a little more like Jesus. Keep turning towards Jesus like Simon did until he became Peter. Let the spirit that is within come out and shine. Bless you this morning. Thanks, Holly.